Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Y'all look like you need a C.S. Lewis story. You know the line, the witch in the wardrobe, when four young children stumble into this magical wardrobe. And they enter on the other side of that wardrobe, this magical land of Narnia, where the trees are alive and giants roam in the mountains and dwarfs work underground in mines and the animals talk. And there's a lion named Aslan. Aslan's this gracious and kind lion who rules over Narnia. It's a sweet place. But years later, if you continue on in the series, years later, centuries later, later, Narnia is a different place. There's no more talking animals, no giants, no dwarfs. Aslan is the stuff of bedtime stories. Narnia is ruled by a wicked king. Nobody really believes in all that Narnia stuff anymore. But there is this young boy named Caspian, and Caspian has a tutor who tells him these bedtime stories about what Narnia used to be, and he has this feeling inside that maybe that stuff is true. Like maybe that bigger story could make sense of the world that he's living in, a world that does not make sense to him. And he wants to believe in that story. And one day he's riding through the woods and he's knocked from his horse by a branch and he wakes up and standing over him is this shape he can't make out. And finally he realizes it's a badger. And then the badger opens his mouth and talks to him. And then he looks beside the badger and there are these two dwarfs. And they're talking to him. And he's overcome with joy and excitement because he's found a talking animal and two dwarfs. And he's just overcome with what this must mean for Narnia and what this must mean about Aslan the lion. And so he says that to the dwarfs. And the dwarf says, one of the dwarfs, he says, who believes in Aslan nowadays? I do, said Caspian. And if I hadn't believed in him before, I would now. Back there among the humans, the people who laughed at Aslan would have laughed at stories about talking beasts and dwarves. And sometimes I wondered if there really was such a person as Aslan. But then sometimes I wondered if there was really people like you. And yet, there you are. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, here was this emerging story that was making sense of his life, was making sense of his place in the world, but he thought it must just be fantasy. Until he saw a talking animal. Because that talking animal was part of that big story, and if that part of the story is true, if there are really talking animals, then it's not so much of a stretch to say there might be a good lion in charge of it all. 
All right, come with me into this passage in Mark chapter 10, start in verse 1. And here's what I want to enter this passage in, which is a really difficult passage. Here's what I want to enter it recognizing. That Mark says at the very beginning of Mark that what follows is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. So somehow what he says about divorce and remarriage must be what? Good news. And I think that this passage does invite us into this bigger story, this good story. So let's look at it, and then let's, let's make some sense of it. This is in Mark 10, starting in verse 1. Jesus left that place, and he went beyond the Jordan into the region of Judea. And crowds gathered around him again, and as usual, he taught them. And some Pharisees came, and trying to test him, they asked, Does the law allow a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a divorce certificate and to divorce his wife. Jesus said to them, he wrote this commandment for you because of your unyielding hearts. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And because of this, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. Inside the house, the disciples asked him about this, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a wife divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery at our staff meeting this week, I said, I want to end on an encouraging word. And then I read this passage and it was like, encouraging. Thanks, Eric. Okay. Well, let's think a little bit more about what we had to say about Narnia and how maybe it helps us to think through this passage. Here's what I think. I think there is a bigger story that you and I rely on to make sense of our lives. As believers, we would say this story is bigger or the great story or the good story, not only because of the content, but of the nature of it, because it stretches back to the very beginning, to creation, and it stretches all the way forward into eternity. And so it's the big story or the good story because it accounts for everything. And if you're looking for a story to locate yourself in or to make sense of your life, you want that kind of story. Am I right? I don't think it's just believers who are searching for that kind of story in which to locate themselves. I think every person is searching for a story that stretches back to the beginning and will make sense of what they can expect at the end in which to locate themselves. You think about questions like this. Where do I come from? What's my purpose in life? This world is broken. Will it ever be fixed? What happens when I die? So I think all people are really searching for a story that goes back to the beginning and stretches forward into the end in which to find themselves and to make sense of their life, where they come from and where they're going. So do you notice that when Jesus is asked a question about divorce, what does he talk about when he answers it? 
marriage. And this is what he says. He says marriage actually fits into that big story. Marriage is attached at the very beginning of the story. It's one of the first things that God ever does is this institution called marriage. Look at what Jesus says. This is what he says. At the beginning of creation, he's asked about divorce. This is what he says in response. At the beginning of creation, the beginning of the story, God, the author of the story, made them male and female. And because of this, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God's put together. So it's really easy to jump down to what Jesus says about divorce. And, and let's be really honest, he's opposed. But it's really easy to focus on what he says about divorce and to totally miss why he says it. It's because he believes marriage is significant. How significant? It's one of the first things God ever did. It's there at the very beginning of the story that's making sense of our lives. But it's not just there at the beginning. You know what Paul says in Ephesians? We talked about this a few months ago. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that this is how the story ends. You remember this? This is what he says. This is what God planned for the climax or the end of all times. To bring all things together in Christ, all things in heaven, along with the things on earth. And then what does Paul talk about? Do you remember? Marriage. He talks about the church and it being joined together in chapters two through four, and then he talks about the Christian family. Marriage. And the point he's making is that marriage, where two people are brought together by God under Christ, is proof to the world of how the story's going to end that all things are going to be brought together under Christ. Okay, so marriage is at the very beginning of the big story that makes sense of our whole lives. And it's positioned in the middle of the story to point towards the end, to be foreshadowing of how the whole thing ends. There are few other realities in this world that point as clearly and that were designed as intentionally by God to do that, to tell the whole story. I'm not saying marriage is the only one. I'm saying it is one of very few. This is why Paul says marriage is a significant allegory. What he means by that is it's something we look at that's telling a bigger story. It's telling the story of how God is going to incorporate you into the big thing he's doing where he's joining everything together under Christ. And so, right. And so if a marriage falls apart, what does it do? It sheds doubt on the big story. Don't believe this. I was talking to our missionary who's in East Asia I talked to him on Zoom last week, and he he called me up. He wanted to to get on Zoom because he's having a problem in his ministry there. And this is what he told me. He said, Eric, ministry, you know, 
He said, the problem with ministry is not the preaching or the teaching. You know what the problem is? You're not going to believe this, Eric. The problem is the people. Yeah, man, I don't believe it. And then he began to describe how in his little house church in East Asia, there were two couples, there are two couples, whose marriages are on the rocks. And how he's pulling his hair out because both spouses in both cases are being selfish and they're heading in opposite directions. And he can't seem to bring them back together. But he said, that's not the most frustrating or scary thing, Eric. He said, I'm doing ministry in a country where Christianity is in its infancy. I've got baby Christians at this church. And I'm telling them this story about a God who is powerful enough to bring everything together under Christ. And I've got two people in our church, two couples, sorry, in our church, who apparently God can't even keep together. And I'm asking these people to commit their lives to that story and that power. And they're looking at it and they're saying, some power. It's not just in East Asia. I was talking with one of our young adults here this week. He told me that at his church, this is in Middle Tennessee, growing up, there was this cool young couple that was really involved in the youth group. And they took their faith really seriously. And they asked those hard questions. And they challenged the teens. And everybody loved them because they were the couple that proved you can be cool and take your faith seriously. And when you're a teenager, that's a big deal. He said, everybody loved them. We all wanted to be with them every, all the time. They hosted these groups in their house. We loved them. And the next line out of his mouth was, and when they divorced, I almost lost my faith. Like if God can't keep them together, what can God do? That's why when a marriage falls apart, it's damaging to the big story. And that's why we will fight really hard at this church to keep your marriage together. But if a, you know, a failed marriage causes doubt on the whole story, the opposite must be true. A good marriage is proof that the story is true. Like a good, and you think about marriages in your life where you've seen this, this good Faithful, lasting marriage is like, it's like a talking badger, right? Well, like if this is true, then maybe all of it is. <clears throat> I have four minutes left and about five pages of content. There's some in this room right now who are thinking, okay, like I've seen those marriages. I want to have a marriage like that, and I don't. Well, I'm talking specifically right now to those who are married for whom marriage is not easy right now. Let me, let me point out something that Jesus says here, because I think it's going to speak to you. I also think it speaks to everybody, no matter what situation in their life, in their life they're facing that seems impossible. This is what Jesus says. The Pharisees tell him that Moses allowed divorce and he says this, Jesus said this to them. He wrote this commandment for you, Moses. He wrote this commandment for you because of your unyielding hearts. He's saying divorce was a concession. 
It was a concession that Moses made because he realized the thing that drove two people apart was so deep inside that he couldn't access it. There was nothing he could say that could magically change a person's heart. And so finally he threw up his hands and said, fine, you can get divorced under these circumstances. But why? Because there's a problem that's deeper than the problem of divorce, and it's a problem of a hard heart. And I'll tell you, everybody I have walked with who has been through a divorce would confirm what Jesus says right here. People who are not believers would read what Jesus says right here and say, yep. Somehow in our marriage, one or both of us, our hearts changed. And the change or the closure of that heart led to decisions, led to things said that seemed irreparable, irrecoverable. And here's the sad truth. You cannot change your spouse's heart. You want to know what's worse? You can't even change your heart. But God can. Right? Like, don't you see how a lasting marriage speaks, speaks to this dimension of the gospel story too? The story isn't just about how God gets us from beginning to end. It's what God is doing in us in the process to get us ready for the end. And what Jesus says in Mark 7 is all of us have hard hearts, that every bad thing that happens in our life is a result of the hardness of our hearts. But is there somebody who can treat the heart? Because I can't. And what Scripture says in response is resolutely, I can from God. I will give you a new heart, he says in Ezekiel, to a bunch of people with hard hearts. I will take the stony heart from your body and replace it with a living one. If your marriage is hard right now, let me just ask you this. Are you praying for your spouse? Let me ask you this. Are are you praying that your own heart would be softened towards them. If you're not feeling the love you once felt, are you you praying about that? Because I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in date nights, but date night ain't gonna change your heart. God changes hearts though, and that's the good news. That's the good news. You know, if we think about these marriages that are just long-lasting marriages at this church, they give so much glory to God. It's not just that they're long, that they've lasted from one point in the distant past to the present. It's that in that process, God brought them through seasons of hardness of heart and changed it. Now, let me say the last thing in just a minute or two. Let me talk to those whose marriages did not last. Because Jesus uses a really hard word here to describe the failure of a marriage and if you are to remarry after that, and he uses a word called adultery. Now, I don't know of something, of of many things worse to call someone than adulterer, right? That's something that's had a stigma since the time of Jesus till today. I think about that story that I had to read in high school, The Scarlet Letter. Anybody else read The Scarlet Letter? That was fun. 
It's about Hester Prynne, this woman who has a child out of wedlock and then is forced to wear an A for adultery on her chest the rest of her life. And the rest of the story is the story about how she's trying to live and overcome the shame of this event in her life. But she's got this letter and she can never shake it. Is that you? If you've been divorced, is that you? Is this who you are forever? Well, let me just point out that Jesus answers this question about divorce, which is a theoretical question asked by guys who do not care about those whose marriages are falling apart. And I have some of those people in mind this morning in this room. These guys don't care about those people. They just want to know, is divorce good or bad? And Jesus says, it's bad. Don't do it. But that's how Jesus responds to this theoretical question. Have you ever looked at or considered how Jesus treats people who have been divorced? You remember that story in John 4? Jesus comes across this woman who hasn't been divorced once. She's been divorced five times. You remember what he tells her? I want to fill you with the water of life. I can't wait, sister, until you're worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. What? He says, divorce is bad, don't do it. And here he is with this divorced woman. He says, sister, I can't wait to fill you with the water of life. This, this water that'll bubble up into eternal life for you. You know what she does? She walks out of there. You remember this scene? She walks out of there. She put down the water jar. She went into the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this man be the Christ? And many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. In other words, she's not only still part of that big story, she still gets to tell it, and her life is still believable. Okay, when I get married, I sign up for a responsibility with my marriage that my marriage will witness to the glorious big story of Jesus Christ. A lot of people go into marriage thinking marriage is about me. Your marriage has never been about you. It's always been about him. He's the one that put it together. The thing is, we think about that in every area of life. My finances, well, those are mine. Everything else belongs to God. I'm parenting. I'm doing that for God. But my work, that's about me. No. It's all about him. And you got married, you didn't sign up for that responsibility that my marriage would be like a talking badger, that it would be a witness to the great story that God wants everybody to be part of, but newsflash, that's what your marriage is. People are watching the way you treat your husband and the way you treat your wife. And they're making decisions about God based on you. Okay. So if your marriage failed, does that mean you're out of the story? No. No. Divorce is a sin, but this is what we believe. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we have done. Here's the thing. At this church, we will fight with everything we have to keep your marriage together. If your marriage is struggling, please talk to us. We will get you help. At this church, if you have been divorced, are you marked forever? No. 
we believe that you can still be part of this story. We believe that God still intends to use you to tell his story and that people who see you living for the Lord will come to believe because of it. That's what we believe. We're going to take a meal together now. And we call this meal the Lord's Supper. And we take this meal together as a chance to repent of our sin. I think there are some here this morning who have been divorced maybe a long time ago and have never sought God's forgiveness for that. I'd encourage you as you take this Lord's Supper that you would do that right now. Um, I think there are those this afternoon who have never sought reconciliation maybe with the one the spouse they were divorced from. Maybe this afternoon, you'll call them up and you'll say, sorry. But what I'm thankful for this meal, because when we take this meal, the body and blood of Jesus, we are reminded of what he has done to forgive us our sins. If we repent, he is just to forgive us our sins. Let's pray together. God, I want to lift up this church to you. I want to lift up those in this church. Um, who carry with them shame and regret from failed marriages. I want to lift up to the, those to you in this church who are in struggling marriages right now, who hurt because their marriage isn't what they thought it would be and they don't know how to fix it. God, I want to lift up to those, those to you in this church who are in healthy marriages right now, who are happy and loving each other like they never have before, God. I want to lift up all of these marriages to you, God, because I believe that these marriages and these people bring you glory God, where we sin in our lives, would you convict us and may we repent of that sin? As we take your body and blood, the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, in us, would you convict us and then forgive us, God? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.